Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. If you're visiting here with us this morning, I would like to tell you that if you have any questions about this church or this faith, you are welcome to ask the knowledgeable and friendly people at the visitor table in the foyer about um, your questions and have them answered the best way they can answer them. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek to find, and to share. For the call to worship, we thank the poet Wendell Berry, who wrote For the Future. Planting trees early in spring, we make a place for birds to sing in time to come. How do we know? They are singing here now. There's no other guarantee that singing will ever be. People do ask... How do you preach to a room full of people who call themselves Unitarian Universalists, and yet they have roots in Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, humanism, earth-based traditions, and more? And we could answer if someone asked us that question. One of the things that holds this congregation together is the mission it wrote and tries to live by. And we wrote it on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation is created by the poet Wendell Berry, the poem, The Finches. The ear stung with cold sun and frost of dawn in early April comes the song of winter finches, their crimson bright then dark, as they move into and then against the light. May the year warm them soon. May they soon go north with their singing and the seasons follow. May the bare sticks soon live, and our minds go free of the ground into the shining of trees. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together into that place in our heart where we are who we are. This is the place in which we can speak to God as we understand God, listen to our inner wisdom, or just breathe into the stillness. We visit this place of stillness in order to ask for clarity, to seek wisdom, to strengthen our spirits. Let us enter the silence together, remembering that tiny child noises can count as silence. You're now invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, remembrance, prayer, or hope.
It is our custom to continue our meditation with the Buddhist metta meditation. I'd like to do the sung version today. I'll sing a line and you sing it after me. The words are, you may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. You may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. That's good. Now we're singing it for ourselves. You may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. The second time we sing it for someone we love, as if they might be one last spark we all need to light the whole world. You may be be one last spark spark. we all need need to light the whole world. All right, now the last time we do it as a spiritual exercise, we sing it for someone against whom we have a resentment. This does not change them. It changes us. You may be be one last spark. spark. We all need need to light the whole world. world. Mm, That's a hard one. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm going to talk today about the genealogy. You know, families do their genealogies in order to find out more about themselves or the people who raised them. You look to see what kind of people y'all came from, what kind of DNA you've got or what kind of traditions you have. You look back. And so we're going to look back into Rabbi Jesus' family and talk about his grandmother's. Most people call the genealogies in the Bible the begats, and most people skip them. They're hard to read, they're boring, and why would I read one, much less preach about one? Well, I thought you might like some of the information that is contained in this one. Most of the genealogies only mention the fathers, and this genealogy is Jesus, all Jesus' generations, And um, mysteriously, for people who believe in the virgin birth, his generations are traced back through Joseph. (laughs) That didn't take very long. That's good. (laughs) So here it starts, Matthew 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. I'm not going to read them all. Isaac's the father of Jacob. Jacob's the father of Judah and his brothers. You remember, they are the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. 
Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, Tamar and Rahab now are the two women that have been mentioned. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, three women. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We don't really get her name, but we get her former husband's name, which has the story in it. And then 24 generations after that, with no woman mentioned. And then uh, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Okay, so why were these women in there? That's what I want to know. That's what a lot of commentators would like to know. What do they have in common? Um, Why would they be mentioned? I don't know the answer. I just know their stories. And I want to share the history of their stories with them. And some of you will remember from Sunday school, but some of you don't. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah. So Matthew or whoever, because sometimes you just name a book after somebody you admire. um, So we don't know really who wrote Matthew. The writer of Matthew included these women for a reason. They're not random because the writers are trying to tell you a story. So with every word that they tell you, they're pushing a, uh, a point of view about the person they're writing about. So one of the things that these women had in common was that they all got in trouble. And there were lots of ways to get in trouble in these ancient times if you were a woman You could get pregnant without being married, or you could be married and not get pregnant. I'm going to try to use delicate language here because of the children. You could be taken by force, um, which was mostly your fault no matter what. If your husband died, you were in trouble because kind of it was your fault, like everything else. And um, so all of these grandmothers of Jesus had these things happen to them. They all had lives where they were blown around. Uh, They lost people they loved. They had tragedies happen. And they did things that you would say were not the nice lady thing to do. They were not the well-behaved person thing to do. But they were the right thing to do. You know the difference between being nice and being good these women were good, but not necessarily nice. Okay, Tamar's story is in the book of Genesis, and uh, it was the custom of the day that if a woman's husband died and they didn't have any children yet, then his brother would step in and have children by her, which would then count as his brother's children. So that's what you were supposed to do if your husband died in order to keep your your husband's line going. The brother was the closest, um, and that's what you were supposed to do. So Judah, remember, one of the 12 tribes, Judah was one of the 12 brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. You know, Joseph with his amazing dream coat, um, his coat of many colors. He uh, was not well liked by his brother because he was one of the dad's favorites. 
and the brothers sold him to some traveling salespeople from Egypt and dipped the coat in blood and then told the dad that, the, that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. So, so Judah was one of those brothers. So he's a little bit, you know, he had some shady things in his past. So Judah moved away and got married and had some sons, and the oldest son of Judah married this woman named Tamar. But the story says, he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord killed him. All right, there's no delicate language for that. I'm sorry, children. So Judah told his next son, Onan, to have children with Tamar, but Onan didn't want to. And so he did this very famously, uh, spilling his seed on the ground, from which we get the word Onanism, um, spilling his seed on the ground. Really, his sin was not spilling his seed, but his sin was not doing what his dad told him to do. Um, So the Lord was mad at him, killed him too. The next son was not old enough yet. He was still, I don't know, 11. And so... um, Plus, Judah doesn't really want to give another son to Tamar because, you know, they die. (laughs) So Judah said, Tamar, tell you what, um, we're going to wait until Shelah, who was the name of the third son, until he grows up, and then we'll give him to you to have some children for his uh, oldest brother. And until then, you'd go live with your father again. And live as a widow. So she goes and moves in with her father again and wears widow's clothes and waits and waits and waits. And then Judah's wife dies and Silah grows up or Shelah grows up. Um, Nothing. No word from Judah. No word from the brother. And Tamar hears that Judah is coming up with a friend to the sheep shearing place to get his sheep shorn. And so she uh, takes off her widow's clothes and puts on a veil, disguises herself, and sits by the road as if she were a shrine uh, professional lady of the night. So she's sitting there um, looking available. And Judah comes by and he says, I would like to sleep with you. And she says, what will you give me? And he says, I'll give you a young goat from my flock. And she says, I don't see a goat. He says, well, I'll send it to you later. (laughs) And she said, well, I'm going to need something like driver's license or something (laughs) to hold on to until I get the goat. And he says, well, I I don't know what to give you. And he says, she says, how about your, 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 um, signet, your stamp that you sign things with, and it's cord and your walking staff. And so he leaves those things with her uh, when he leaves after they've uh, conducted their business. So she gets pregnant from that encounter. And it's uh, not much time later when Judah sends his friend back from the sheep shearing place with a little goat for the lady of the night, and she's not there. And he asks around to the men who live in that area, and he says, where is the temple prostitute that was uh, sitting here by the side of the road? And they say, what? 
prostitute. We don't, we don't have one that works this corner. There's nobody <laughs> here of that description. And um, so he goes back to Judah and they say, well, you know, we did our best. I don't know where she is. I guess she's going to keep the stuff we gave her. Uh, we can't make a big fuss about it or people will laugh at us. And so um, several months pass and then she starts to show. And word comes back to Judah that Tamar, in her widow's clothes, is pregnant. And Judah says, all self-righteous, which we all know is the root of all evil, self-righteousness. Every time you start feeling self-righteous, you're about to do something really bad. So just let a little flag go up. Anyway, he's feeling all self-righteous. And he goes, bring her here and we will burn her to death. That woman, what is she doing? So they brought her and she says, I am pregnant by the person who owns these. (laughs) And Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. And when she gave birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and one of them stuck his hand out, and the midwife quick put a red cord around his hand, because that was the firstborn. But he pulled his hand back in, and then the other brother was born, and then the firstborn was born after the other brother. And um, the one with the thread was named Zera, and the other one was named Perez. And Perez was the great-great-great-grandfather of Boaz, who was the great-grandfather of King David. Okay, so Tamar was a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Rabbi Jesus. The next story is about the woman named Rahab, who's the next one to be mentioned. Rahab lived in Jericho, and you remember the story of Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. So Rahab was in this city that the Israelites were about to uh, surround and blow trumpets and the walls came down. But they sent scouts first. They sent spies to the city. And people recognized the strangers and said to the king, I think we've got spies from those Israelites who were over across the Jordan River. And we got to kill them so they don't go back and tell anything about our town. And so they looked and looked. But For some reason, the spies were at Rahab's house. Rahab was also a professional lady uh, of the night. And um, the spies must have, you know, they've been in the desert a long time. I don't know. Um, So they were at Rahab's house with doing a little R&R. And and Rahab um, hid them under the rushes that covered the floor. And the men didn't find them. And um, so when... It was time for them to go. When night fell again and the search was uh, past her house, she said, remember me and my family when you come and conquer this town. Remember me and keep me and my family safe. That's our deal, all right? And the the spies promised, we'll take care. And she said, I'm going to hang a red cord out of the window of my house so even from the outside of the city wall, you can see it because she lived right on the wall. So sure enough, when they came and they made war against Jericho, they saved her and her family. Um, 
And that was another of the grandmothers of Jesus. Ruth is the next one. She has her own book, the book of Ruth. And um, Ruth was a foreigner from Moab. And she married the son of Naomi, who was from Judah, from Israel. So Naomi had two sons, and she had two daughters-in-law, and they all lived in Moab, which was not Israel. And the sons um, died. And so Ruth had her two daughters-in-law there, Ruth and Orpah. Orpah was the name that Oprah Winfrey's mother put her finger on in the Bible when she was naming Oprah, and she something got misspelled, and so Oprah was Oprah, but the name in the Bible was Orpah, and that was the sister-in-law of Ruth. Some useless information for your next party. <laughs> and so um, Naomi said, now that my sons are dead, you guys can go back and live with your families again because I've got nothing for you. And Orpah went on back to her family. And then Ruth said these words that are in so many weddings. She said this to her mother-in-law. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And when you die, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And so when Naomi was realized, when she realized that Ruth was determined to stay with her, she took her back to Judah with her, and they ended up with a distant relation. They, they, they worked in the fields of a guy named Boaz, who was kind of a second cousin to Naomi. And um, Ruth was working in the field, and it said Boaz noticed her. So he noticed her in a good way. And Naomi said, you know, when you all sleep on the threshing floor, I want you just to go lie down with him. And so she did. And he wanted to do the right thing. And so he went to the brother of her husband, because, you know, the brother was the one that was supposed to sleep with her next. And he said, I would like to have her as my wife instead of you. Is that all right with you? And the brother said, yes, that's fine. And they uh, had a son named Obed, who was King David's grandfather. All right. So Bathsheba is next. That was the wife of Uriah. And her story is that she was very beautiful and I'm going to skip some of it because we're kind of running out of time. But she was beautiful, and she was bathing on the roof. You remember the Leonard Cohen Alleluia song? It's our bathing on the roof. Uh, uh, so uh, he thought she was very beautiful. And um, so what happened was he decided her husband was a soldier, and they were at war, and her husband was, um, was home. He wanted to have him killed uh, when he was uh, back home, but Uriah refused to go home and sleep with his wife until the war was over. He was a staunch soldier, and so there was never a time when he was alone. He slept at the gate with the other guys, and so finally David just said to the generals, put him on the front line. So I sent him into a very dangerous situation, and he was killed. And David took Bathsheba as his wife, and they had a baby, but it died. And then they had another child whose name was Solomon. And then Solomon married six or seven hundred women. And um, 
So these women are in the genealogy. Why? I think because they stepped out of the normal mores of their time. They were good instead of nice. They did the right thing instead of the expected thing, most of them. And they, they had trouble in their lives. And to, to make a, a conscious effort to put these women who overcame trouble and sorrow and unfairness by stepping outside the normal perfection of an ethical life, to put those women in the, as if their DNA were in the Savior that he's writing about, the writer tells us something really important, that there are many things which are transitional. The same things that people think are nice in one generation, two generations later, those things are going to be ridiculous. And you have to know what the right thing is to do, the ethical thing is, and sometimes it goes against what the world says is ethical. And Rabbi Jesus did that himself. No one would ever call him nice. But they did call him good. And so I'm glad we have this story of real families. These are families that Pleasantville would not want living in their town. These are real families. Just like we have. Families that are a little cracked around the edges. A little scuffed. A little bit broken. That's okay. That's how the light comes into the world. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind. And breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.